Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. How, how the hell have you been? I've been good. As some of you will know, I have ventured to Phuket to work at the Soy Dog Foundation over here, uh, a, a wonderful charity that, that helps to uh, take dogs in from the dog meat trade uh, and, and rescue them and rehome them all around the world. And it's an amazing charity that I've been volunteering for on and off for, for a couple of years now. And it's, it's amazing. So it's also given me the opportunity to... to to get out there into the wider world um, and meet a lot of people. And me being me, politics does come up. And this <laughs> this strange little chat I had uh, on the way back from the from Soy Dog today with, with a chap uh, about um, Pauline Hanson from Australia and how he vo- he voted for her. So who is Pauline Hanson? She's the leader of the One Nation Party over in Australia and uh, possibly one of the most terrifying characters that the um, the Australians have, have conjured up uh, in some time uh, maybe maybe Mick Dundee no but he wasn't terrifying at all in actual fact maybe his acting was but uh, Paul Hogan <laughs> legend uh, no I think I'm referring to the crocodile in Crocodile Dundee and I just got lost there as we all sometimes do. So this woman, um, she's quite the, quite the character. One of the party's policies, if I will bend your ear for one moment, is um, to put, uh, or, or what, what they'd like is to have cameras in mosques and uh, Islamic uh, schools, uh, or it's like Islamic faith schools. So that was one of the policies I read uh, on their website. Uh, and I'd, I'd had this chat with this person, not knowing who this, this person, who this Pauline uh, Hansen person was. And I, this guy was explaining to me in, in great detail you know, why he why he voted for her. And, you know, as, as soon as, obviously, someone starts talking like Donald Trump, justifying, hey, you know, I, I think Donald Trump's a crazy uh, a lun- lunatic, but, uh, you know, let's wait and see what he does, you know, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and by the way, uh, you know, Pauline Hanson, she's all right, hey? So that was my impression of that guy, not all Australians, by the way. And, and yeah, yeah, you know, it's just terrifying, just terrifying to me. But anyway, guys, how have you been? I've, I've been okay, and um, I know you've, you've been... God, you've been going through the old ringer there with the uh, House of Lords, uh, Michael Heseltine rebelling uh, quite magnificently, I might add, against the um, against Theresa May and wanting uh, Article 50, the vote on Article 50 at the end of it, and, and, and quite rightly so. You know, we all need a say on it, a meaningful say, but she's going to end up sort of doing the old whatever the hell she wants anyway. Uh, what we had, we've had the... Um, Copeland, Copeland and Stoke-on-Trent central by-elections, which were obviously, as we all know, bloody shocking, bloody shocking. Um, but 
But am I just saying that? I think I'm just, I think I am just saying that because everybody seems so shocked in the papers when I think we all knew it was just going to happen anyway. And that, that's what happens when when um, when people are faced with 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 an opposition that isn't is not an opposition of any real decency. Well, no, no strength, because there is plenty of decent people within the opposition, but they have no they have no real clout or power. So, what the hell? Are, what the hell are we going to do? You know, I, I I don't know. Maybe we could. Um, geez, we could all come out here to Phuket and volunteer at the Soy Dog Foundation and um, do something um, that distracts us in a meaningful way. Anyway, what have, we, what have we got coming up with this episode? Well, I have finally got round to um, getting this Jonathan Bartley interview. Now, he's the, the co-leader of the Green Party, along with Caroline Lucas, and I finally got round to putting this up because it has taken me a while because I did have quite a back catalogue of interviews. And it's it's a really good chat. I I know I've I've, I've spoken about this this chat with with you guys before, and it, it is good fun. It's good fun. I have no office. I am a, a nomadic man with a with a dictaphone, and uh, we decided then therefore we should go to Green Park and have a chat, uh, and that's precisely what we did. And we we touch on Brexit, Donald Trump, Progressive Alliance, and a voting reform. So all all good stuff. Uh, and you know, if you're obsessed with voting reform like I am, then then it's a good chat because I do go, I do go on about it quite a bit. I think that's what happens sometimes when you don't have a script in front of you. Um, but yeah, enjoy it. And and in the meantime, I want to do just give a quick shout out to some of you guys out there that have been very sweet with your um, retweets. Um, I noticed that um, Lily Allen was getting a bunch of disgusting, outrageous abuse, which is pretty much the standard of some of the scum on on Twitter. Uh, And I I just suggested maybe there should be a boycott of of Twitter, uh, just for like maybe a, jeez, just like a couple of days or something, where people just say, look, this needs regulation, perhaps. People that terrify, uh, terrify to a degree, uh, uh, and bully, and make other people's lives a misery. Um, just say, hey, maybe there should be some kind of policing going on or punishment. Uh, if someone receives more than like three or four blocks within, say, two hours, perhaps maybe Twitter should step up. Hey, I'm just saying, you know, out of control bullying, uh, misogyny, sexism, racism. Maybe that's not a good, good thing for the world, um, perhaps. But yeah, that's just. One thing, other things have been really good response to Nick Clegg's interview. Um, Nick was uh, trumpeting the, the interview just the other day, and we got really good feedback. Uh, we're getting really good response from that. So, yeah, if you want other other things raised, if you want me to go out there and try and find other people to, to interview, please do drop us a line. Uh, it's the Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us uh, on Twitter. That's uh, at Limehouse Pod, and and it is good. It's good to chat with you guys. So let you just get a good idea of what you, what you're thinking, and, and and what have you. I'm just trying to get Hugh Bonneville uh, on the show at the moment. He's mega busy, so I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But just to let you know where I'm going, and um, we're talking to Anna Subri's people at the moment, trying to get her uh, lined up for a chat. Um, but yeah, before I came out here, um, I had a read. I, I, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen any stand up comedy in so 
freaking long. Don't know why, I just hadn't. And I went to see Bridget Christie and it blew it blew my kneecaps off. I mean, that you can't have really unless you're in some 80s um, shotgun movie. You can't really have your kneecaps blown off anymore. You don't really see it in movies. But I, 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 I had a 1980s pump-action assault gun taken to my kneecaps with this comedy. It was so good. Bridget Christie, incredible woman. Um, I have tried to get her on the show, but that's not really happening at all. Uh, but I hope to I hope to to somehow get her on by hook or by crook, shall we say? And and yeah, she she offers such a funny like a, a, such a funny, warm-hearted perspective on Brexit and and her journey and her family's journey to to England from Ireland uh, and her gardening analogies of of Brexit are just genius and I'm a gardener as well so yeah I felt a little bit of love there there was a connection uh, via the uh, comedy yeah, by, by no means a, a romantic one she's a, she's a married woman and I'm soon to be married myself let's just make that very clear very clear um, yeah so guys enjoy the interview I like I said I loved it I think you will too and I will see you very shortly okay um, I'm here with Jonathan Bartley of the Green Party, uh, the co-leader with Caroline Lucas, marvellous man. I don't know why I'm saying this because I would have already said this on the preamp. It's supposed to be impartial as well. Yeah, (laughs) this is just me and you walking whilst I talk. Um, So I stopped you from talking about music earlier because I wanted this to be spontaneous. But before we talk about your music, have you heard of the blues band The Hoax? I haven't heard of the blues band. You haven't? Okay, I'll let you into secret. I, I... don't actually love the blues. Okay. <laughs> I play in a blues band. Yeah. Uh, but I do it because um, partly because I was at school with one of the musicians, uh, yeah. and we've been playing for I won't say how many years, um, on and off, and just doing. We must have we played over a thousand gigs around the country, and I just love playing live. Yeah. And in 2001, he kind of called me up and said, "Look, I've got this blues band. Our drummer's dropped out. Do you fancy uh, kind of playing a few sessions?" And I did, and I just got hooked. You know, uh, on it ever since. So we've just produced our most bluesy album. It's about to come out in a few weeks' time. Um, and you know, I love the music we produce. But if you were to ask me lots of questions about the blues, I honestly I couldn't tell you. So, so who do who who do you love in the who do I love music? Then? Well, I'm on on my i uh, iPhone now. You know, just coming along to this, I was listening to uh, The Doors and Zeppelin. And then I'll have Wolf Alice. Uh, oh, I don't know and, uh, who this is. It's quite quite new, new okay. band Wolf Alice. Um, yeah. I, I listen to Radio X, XFM that was a lot. Yes. So that's okay. what I'm particularly drawn to more than you know, the more mainstream stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I very grew up around, very influenced by Manchester. So Happy Mondays, yeah. uh, James, yeah. Stone Roses, okay. uh, Charlatans, you know, uh, all that stuff. So that that's really what I love. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. I, I had to. Um, so the Mustangs. Mm. You said you're gigging tonight in uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night. Tomorrow in Berry. Tomorrow night we're in Berry at the Met Bar in Berry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which is a little blues bar up yeah. there, and we play all around the country. Working men's clubs, uh, festivals, bars. Uh, there's a kind of network of blues clubs right around the country. It's, yeah. it's kind of quite a small scene. Uh, they you know, have two or three magazines like Blues in Britain, which is okay. had British Blues Awards, and then this kind of network of clubs and festivals. And so it's it's. Um, 
you know, uh, playing with people like from Dr. Feelgood, you know, that were knocking around the yard, rock, but rock set, yeah, all, yeah. yeah, all those, <laughs> all those bands and new incarnations yeah. uh, still playing the circuit, and, um, and there's some new stuff that's you know quite exciting coming on the scene as well. Well, that's amazing. I mean, obviously, this is a, a pol political podcast, so yeah, I've should got be talking a, politics. <laughs> we should be talking. We should be more responsible. But um, it's interesting because where, for me anyway, where did when did it become music into politics, or was it politics into music, or was it just a whole mi ma it, mi I kind of fell into politics um, a long time ago. I so I left school. I played kind of semi-professionally around London for about a year. Uh, it didn't really work out. It was a very strange time in the music business at the time. We came at just the wrong moment where record companies were really cutting back on the deals and the advances. Um, yeah. So, you know, we are doing all the usual clubs, the Marquee and the Rock Garden and all those places, Mean Fiddler. Played with the farm, you know, it was about that time that the farm were getting big. And okay. we knocking about with quite a few bands. Some of them were making it through. We came at just the wrong time and um, stopped after a year and I just went off travelling. Came back, didn't know what to do. And... Yeah. Uh, thought, well, why don't I have a crack at doing a degree? Um, looked at London School of Economics, uh, looked at social policy, yeah. started doing a degree, loved it, and then at the end of it thought, well, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. Uh, and thought, well, why don't I try and go and work in Parliament? So I ended up working in Parliament for four years on a cross-party basis. Uh, so you must know Neil Lawson, right? I know Neil very well. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, I mean, yeah. we didn't really cross paths at that point, but I know him kind of yeah. now. Well, he, he's <laughs> our um, first guest on the Limehouse. Oh, so huge respect for, for Neil. Oh, he, yeah. Really, yeah. really great thinker, um, great activist. Hey, Neil. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, should we go up that way? Yeah. Great. So, yeah, we're in Green Park, everybody. I think, yeah, we're just looking. We're actually right opposite Buckingham Palace. This is quite nice. We should have brought our dogs. We should have. They would love it. Yes, they would. They would. But I wouldn't let mine off the leash, though. She'd probably go and kidnap the Queen or something. She's very clever like that. Um, yeah. So I mean, was it was it a, a, sing, a singular issue that you suddenly right that that is dragging me into politics, or was it a culmination? Um, it, I mean, the, the big point for me. I mean, I, after I did that four years in Parliament, I actually found Westminster really dark, um, quite oppressive. Uh, and you know, just you come out of university where you're taught to weigh up both sides of an argument and come to a reasoned conclusion and then you're thrust into the world of Westminster where it's all about putting your side across and tearing the others down yeah. um, not very evidence-based and I got quite disillusioned by it so went to uh, left for a while did some campaigning actually did a, a dot-com for a year in, in 2000 a charity dot-com and then um, set up a think tank to kind of explore ideas that I was really interested around was uh, that the, restorative justice. And what's the name of that one? Ecclesia. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I was going to ask you um, about that. So yeah, well, yeah, uh, my great, 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 great grandmother was uh, Elizabeth Fry, the Quaker prison reformer. And my kind of, if I have a faith tradition, it kind of comes down the, the, the kind of Quaker, kind of radical, subversive <laughs> kind of side, yeah. quite anti-establishment. Yeah. Always persecuted by the established churches and religion, and okay, yeah. um, but were you know streets ahead of their time in being progressive. You know they were talking about women's equality. You know long before the suffragettes. Yeah. Um, and so you know there are lots of these ideas um, that you know restorative justice wasn't really being talked about much in in 2000, uh, and so set up uh, a think tank to look at ideas like that um, that come from kind of radical religious roots. Uh, and explore them and you know just get them going debated a little bit in public yeah so started doing a lot of Sunday morning telly you know like the big questions and, and things yeah. like that to where they had these debates 
Um, but You've it got was... a good face for TV, by the way. That's very kind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's getting more wrinkly every time it appears. <laughs> yeah, but you're a drummer, for God's sake. You know, it's you are a drummer, aren't you? I am a drummer. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. There's I mean, that old cliche, isn't there, about the, me yeah, behind the, the kit? I do have a terrible, terrible memory, though. I mean, I could read a fact three minutes ago and I would have forgotten it. So, um, but no. So, I mean, I wanted to, to to ask you about your your think tank that you set up because um, you know, having a read of it, it's, it sounds amazing. It sounds very interesting at the very least could you give us like a broad a broader or maybe just pinpoint a few of the the ideas that are involved in there well one of the things I mean, we found often debates get very very polarized when it comes to religion i mean faith schools being a classic case you know there's yeah. one side which wants to completely do away with all faith schools and think they're the most evil thing in the world there's another side uh, which just will defend them and won't hear any you know wrong said about them um, and so we set up something called the Accord Coalition with the British Humanist Association uh, to kind of have a reasonable uh, approach to it, saying actually, you know what, we know that faith schools take fewer children eligible for free school meals, fewer children with disabilities, we know that they discriminate in employment and admissions, you know, why don't we try and reform them? Um, and so, yeah, we set up with some teaching unions and, and others uh, to, you know, do some research to kind of lobby government. Um, so that's one of the ideas. So a lot of the other stuff we've done is around kind of the interface of religion and politics. And I think back to the year 2000, it was all really starting to kick off. Uh, and, you know, in terms of terror and, and links to religious terror. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of religious illiteracy around. You know, people you know, didn't know a lot even about the different strands of Christianity, let alone the different strands of Islam. Uh, and so there was a lot of, you know, a call for um, people who knew a little bit about it. Uh, and certainly a call for a debate, so that, that was a lot of our work. Um, we were you know, very pro-disestablishment of the Church of England. Can't see any real reason to have bishops in the House of Lords either. Yeah. Um, but also looking at um, ways of diffusing conflict, dealing with conflict. You know, within Quakerism there's a very big peace tradition which looks at peace as not the absence of violence, but something that needs to be built and created. Mm -hmm. And you look at uh, the several billion pounds that we underwrite a commercial arms trade. Uh, uh, we look at the Ministry of Defence, which is geared up towards, you know, primarily military solutions in inverted commas to conflict. But one university, maybe two, um, has a Department of Peace Studies, you know, in Bradford. Okay. But actually, there are strategies for building peace and peace building, which are, you know, widely recognised uh, and, you know, encouraging uh, maybe the greater study of how to strategies for peace whether it's been using aid or undermining uh, those that are building up power bases around terror undermining their support you know you can't negotiate necessarily with terrorists but what you can do is cut off their support yeah and um, where they get their money from where they get their arms from yeah. uh, and starve them and then of course there's the winning of hearts and minds and stopping the radicalization so it was you know looking at how you pursue strategies like that what's yeah. now come to be known a little bit more you know as soft power yeah, well, absolutely. Um, but back then, no one was talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, How do you feel? So, I mean, talking about you know extremism and, and trying to prevent it. How do you feel about um, the obvious uh, question? Is Donald Trump and his recent uh, Muslim ban, which is basically what it is. Yeah. No, we've we've, we've called it a Muslim ban. Um, seems certainly that's the impact of taking seven countries, predominantly Muslim populations, and uh, stopping. Uh, migration from them into into America. 
clearly um, it's a recipe for more radicalization and what's interested in all sides in this country <laughs> I think the political debate has said that yeah uh, and it's, you know it's one of the few things that's united everyone <laughs> yeah no. politically um, in, the, in the UK saying that this is a recipe for more radicalization this is not a solution so um, but the way to form. the way to combat that through schools do you think for because this is going to be a generational thing because once Trump's gone they're going to be kids that are seriously affected by this right yeah I mean it's one of the reasons why um, you can see what happened in Northern Ireland when you segregate children on the, you know, around religion and if we don't have more inclusive schooling uh, where people are exposed to the other, um, you know, you, it's a recipe for disaster. But it is also about foreign policy yeah. and it's uh, recognising that the more you bomb, uh, the more you use um, military intervention, the more likely it is that you're going to radicalise more people against you. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's this kind of endless dis spiral that goes downwards uh, of um, you know, more bombing, more radicalisation, therefore you bomb more and you radicalise more. And you, know, you somehow have to break that destructive spiral yeah. uh, and create a more constructive one. Uh, and Trump is just you know, pursuing that destructive spiral you know, downward. And I, I suppose it's sort of one of those things for me anyway, or we, we did, we had to do an emergency podcast when, you know, on Monday evening, because we just couldn't handle the um, vitriolic hate coming from Trump's administration. And, you know, you, to make a link between Brexit and Trump and the rise of populism, it's pretty easy nowadays. I mean... It, are we okay to make those connections between Trump and Brexit, do you think? I think I have made some links. I think you've got to be careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you've got to be nuanced and not come out with um, stereotypes and, and blanket statements. But I think there are two obvious links. The first is Theresa May looking very, very desperate, going cap in hand to Donald Trump yeah. because of Brexit, um, because she has to get a trade deal. <laughs> she has to yeah. prove that this is going to work. Yeah. Uh, and it puts her in a very, very weak position with regard to demand anything from Trump. And you can see Trump kind of rubbing his hands with glee, saying, well, I said I was going to put America first. Now watch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, and knows that, you know, Theresa May, um, you can basically, you know, ride roughshod over her um, yeah. already coming from a weak position. But also, you know, the bigger picture, it's pretty clear uh, that with you know, the old cliche about, and I'm sure Neil Lawson talked about this, but the the, um, the challenge to neoliberalism and the yeah. breakdown of neoliberalism. Yeah. You know, no, we're the only ones yeah, yeah. to ever talk about it in Westminster <laughs> circles. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, we're reaching we're reaching a fork in the road, and we, we can go one or two directions. You know, a very nationalistic, inward-looking, wall-building, uh, xenophobic, nasty. Uh, small-minded approach or we can be outward-looking we can be internationalist we can look to build bridges uh, and we can uh, look to make the case uh, for migration for showing leadership in the world uh, global responsibility and tackling the great challenges that we face whether it be nuclear weapons whether it be climate change whether it be air pollution now, these things only happen across borders yeah no well exactly yeah you know global warming etc doesn't understand walls unfortunately exactly. <laughs> you can't build a wall around global warming donald um which would bring me to a half decent question on how do you how do the green party how do you caroline how does your party respond to donald trump's attitude towards the global warming crisis oh i mean i guess there's 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 two ways. You can go down the kind of appeasement route or you can be very robust. Now, yeah. 
neither means disengagement. You can be robust and engage. You can impede and, and engage. So we're not saying don't engage. Yeah. I think you have to engage. That's the reality. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we will engage with people worse than Donald Trump. Ted Cruz. For a better world. Yeah. <laughs> I won't, we won't. Let's not go down names. <laughs> okay. But, okay. but the, you know, the, the, the substantive point um, is that um, you know, we need to be far more robust. You need to have red lines. You know, it just seems that Theresa May. You know, in her, her question, her Prime Minister, Prime Minister's questions from uh, Jeremy Corbyn, you know, she, she was um, quite disingenuous in her response and that she said everyone knew about the, the ban that was coming in, um, yeah. but actually you know, avoided the question about whether she raised it with Trump. You know, did she raise climate change with Trump? Uh, did she really raise the issues around torture uh, and human rights? And, strong terms. No, but um, I she went to Erdogan and, 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 and I'm, prob I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that he appeased her mind, right? You know, I'm sure that worked out just Again, fine. I remember I saw you know, a tweet from Paul Wall yesterday when Theresa May said, and of course I raised uh, human rights issues and he said, well, you know, we were at the press conference and none of us <laughs> thought that you raised you know, human rights issues in your response. Yes. Um, yeah. And they were quite incredulous. Um, and it, it comes down to you know what kind of country we want to be, what kind of leadership we want to show in the in the world. And there's a real vacuum now for leadership. There, you know, there really is moral leadership, moral yeah, leadership, yeah. moral authority. Yeah. Um, and you just look at you know the, it looks the future looks incredibly bleak. It really does look bleak. And, and yeah. you know, it, it, where's the hope? Where's that real yeah. vision of a of a you know, putting, no, I wouldn't say putting Britain first, but a better, better, a better Britain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've got so many resources here. You know, the New Economics Foundation reckons that around the coast, you know, we're an island, and around the coast we've got the capacity in terms of offshore renewables, wind, wave, uh, tidal, to generate more than six times our annual electricity demand. Now, we could be investing in that technology, creating great... Uh, jobs, good jobs. We could be um, reviving the coastal towns. Yeah, we could be transitioning the economy from yeah. dependence on fossil fuels. Um, you know, we've got so much uh, that we could be investing in, but our, instead our economy is being hollowed out, and we're facing the, the prospect of being an offshore tax haven. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> so poor yeah. for everyone. It makes us all poorer. But it's, a gener it's generationally it's poor as well because it's effectively just saying to. You, the kids that are following not only did you not like 16 year olds did, you didn't get a vote on brexit you didn't get a vote on your future by you know both in terms of climate change but you know political change social change you know it, it's pretty it's pretty heartbreaking to be honest i think that's what we're going through at the moment it is, it's a very strange heartbreak so my, my kids are 17 14 and 12 and yeah. my eldest is about to go to university i'm just looking at the figures and i'm seeing what kind of debt she's going to come out with yeah. at the end of her degree you know it's going to be about 50 50 grand oh, oh you know and, and okay so she doesn't have to start paying off until she earns a certain level and she wants yeah. to be a, a teacher you know, she wants to teach primary children um, you know, she's going to have a really rough life, and this generation is the kind of the first generation that is going to be worse off than their parents. You know, we've had these successive yeah. generations that have been better off, and suddenly it's not like that any longer. And you yeah. know, this comes back to the crisis of neoliberalism and the, and the system failing. Um, with the growing inequality uh, that we see around us, you know, there is more money, there's more wealth, but <laughs> this generation are not seeing it. And so, you know, things are going to have to get progressively worse, uh, and there's going to be you know, a lot more anger.
Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's inevitable because that's the direction things are heading in. I mean, in 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 a in a in a de- to a degree, I suppose Metallica. You know, that Saint Anger album. I don't know why I'm referencing. Well, I was them, never into Metallica. But, you better tell me. Yeah, yeah. So Metallica, this band from America. Um, but you know they they cited anger as a great tool to use I think that's what we've got to fall back on now perhaps a lot of people and I suppose it brings me to my next question which is how do we effectively deal with this May government this Brexit government as a rainbow coalition you know is it I mean I know that uh, obviously you know uh, Lib Dems uh, Greens Clyde Cymru and all that depleted numbers but what's your view on progressive alliances and 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 the future well I think you know the first step is to we've got to have a, a an open and frank conversation um, and I guess the frustration uh, if there is frustration is that conversation is not happening quickly enough and I'm looking at Theresa May and I was thinking if I was in her shoes uh, I'd be calling an early general election, <laughs> a snap general election, because yeah. uh, you know you get your mandate to drive through Brexit. You wouldn't have the problems of whether you're going to be able to get that vote through Parliament in in two years' time on the Brexit deal because you'll increase your majority. Yeah. You've got um, a Labour Party that seems in disarray, uh, and you, you, you're looking at a very comfortable position in another five years to do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and particularly, you know, if we have a great repeal bill, uh, a very extreme Brexit, uh, you then have got license to um, do all the things that many Conservatives want to do, and we know they want to do, in terms of privatisation of the NHS, destruction yeah. of the welfare state, and turning us into a kind of Singapore model, dismantling deregulation and environmental standards, and it just does not bear thinking about. Um, and I think the situation, therefore, is incredibly urgent. Um, so what's the prospects of getting a Labour government any time soon, even a minority Labour government? You know, they are small. Yeah. Um, vanishingly small. Uh, I don't know many people in the Labour Party <laughs> who really believe uh, that Labour can win the next election. No. I don't even you know, necessarily think Corbyn does. So where does that leave us? Well, those, you know, what, what's, let's, let's back up a bit, because what I think things are changing so quickly and so seismically, because this is the other side of it, that you can't, um, we don't know what's around the corner. And when we saw the SNP surge, the Green surge, the surge to Labour uh, in terms of membership, when Corbyn was elected, a lot of uh, the people that joined and characterised those surges weren't tribal. They were kind of post-tribal. They were going out of an emotional response, uh, a principled response. They were attracted to the values and the hope. Um, And so people will leave quite easily when that hope disappears. And we've got to keep that hope alive. But it's it's a cause for optimism because most of those people would say, well, why wouldn't you work together when there's common agreement, where there's common ground? You know, uh, most people in the real world <laughs> do work together where there's common ground because it makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. only in that kind of tribal party politics in that Westminster bubble where people don't do that. Well, I suppose that's where you, you know, that's probably why you left uh, Westminster working within that mechanism anyway, because of the 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 darker elements there and the, the inability to just say, look, we've got loads in common. Let's just make this happen. Yeah. You know, there is more in common to you know use that rather well used phrase yeah it's um, so and it does sum up a lot we do have more in common than that which divides us um, so you know let's look seriously at what we can do yeah um, and, and in terms of getting that it's got to be about reforming the voting system to a degree okay so you, you asked me why I got kind of involved in, in the Green Party yes I um, did and it was it, because of an encounter with David Cameron in, in 2010 um, with my son 
okay. is a wheelchair user. We were going to a hospital appointment at the Evelina Children's Hospital. It was the middle of the 2010 general election and uh, there were some TV vans parked outside. And we were early for the hospital appointment, went over to find out what was going on. Turns out Cameron's giving a speech inside the building. Um, we're watching the kind of pictures in the van uh, and out comes a, a Tory party worker, spots the kid in the wheelchair and says, would you like to have a picture taken with David Cameron? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, God, OK. And I said, you know, fine. So they bring out David Cameron and I just said, Mr Cameron, you know, can I ask you a few questions? At that point, news cameras from News 24 Sky suddenly appeared from nowhere and started live streaming this uh, discussion on the street. And for 24 hours, within the middle of a general election campaign, we had a debate about disabled children, and it came up in the leadership debates in the evening. Now, it suddenly struck me uh, after that encounter that this will never happen again in another general election. We will never have a debate about disabled children. We haven't had one previously in a general election campaign. We'll never have one again. Um, or about climate change, or about Trident, or about a lot of the issues that really matter to people, because the parties are ruthlessly focusing on those few hundred thousand voters in swing seats. And those are the ones that determine the outcome of elections. Um, and if we want to change people's lives, we've got to change the voting system. You know, yeah. there are 10 million disabled people in this country, but their voice counts for nothing yeah. because they aren't amongst those 200,000 swing voters. Um, and it is, it is the holy grail. We change the system, we change people's lives. And we know that more and more people want more and more options. We know that in 1950, 95% um, of people voted for the two big parties. Now it's two-thirds and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It's just that the system is creaking under the strain and it's about to collapse and it hasn't, you know, it needs to adapt and it needs to change. Yeah. Um, and in the referendum, what do we see uh, for generations, people in safe seats, maybe up north where you could put a red rosette on a donkey and they'd still get elected. You know, for generations, their vote hasn't counted. Labour have neglected those seats because they didn't need to win them. The Tories have neglected those seats because they knew they were never going to win them. It's always the, you know, the few hundred thousand voters in, in marginal seats. And suddenly, what happens? A vote comes along where, for the first time, every vote counts. And boy, did they make those votes count. Yeah. They, there was a howl of anger, you know, a, a howl of rage. You've neglected us and, you know, <laughs> you listen now. Yeah. And you can understand that. And again, it comes down to the electoral system and this, you know, this idea about taking back control. It is about reforming our system so people yeah. do have a voice, do have a say, and they're not neglected. So, yes, underpinning any progressive alliance, I, the, the, the red line is the reform of the electoral system. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was pretty... Um, do, we've got, like, we've got about six minutes left. Cool. Well, let's wander um, up here towards... Okay. Slowly. Um, I do pace <laughs> quite a lot. Um, we can go in circles when we get to the top. <laughs> Story of my life. So, I mean, voting reform was something that when I was working outside, uh, gardening away, listening to Jeremy Vine, God help me. Um, I like Jeremy. No, he's, he's always giving me a little slot on his... On his Oh, uh, does he pick you Radio up? Radio 2 show. Well, you, not so much since I've been Green Party leader. Okay, <laughs> he used to, okay. He used to quite a lot. Oh, God, I'm messing with your, your history <laughs> love with Jeremy. But listening to that when I was a gardener, you know, and, and trying to... Well, when I, when I was, I am still, but when I was thinking about reform, voting reform, the it just seemed to me like this outrageous, disgusting sort of, yeah, we'll throw you a bone. We're going to throw you a bone, and there'll be a vote on it, um, but we're going to tell no one. We're going to tell nobody. There's going to be like this, sm like this little sort of snow sprinkling of information given to the country about this massively important subject that could, like you said, prevent, would have prevented Brexit, I'm pretty damn sure of it, and start a more 
plural discussion within our society that, that politics doesn't have to be so opaque. It doesn't have to be so dark and sinister and, and about power grabbing, you know? Exactly. And we've seen it in the, uh, you know, in the wake of the referendum vote that now it seems like the 52% have won and the 48% have to suck it up. Yeah. You know, and that's no way to heal a country. That's no way to, yeah. no way to build a better country. The referendum should have been the start of a process of engagement. You know, we've had to drag this government into, you know, through court cases, into giving people a, a say, a parliament a say, uh, a white paper. You know, this is the biggest decision we're making since the Second World War. And we had to get the government to produce a white paper, and it only produced it after the bill was produced. I mean, that's yeah. just scandalous. Yeah. It is, it is out, absolutely outrageous. Yeah, um, no, so, I, yeah. you know, we we need to approach democracy in a, in, a, in a better way and there is this you know it's the way the system is geared up with a you know, government and opposition uh, a first past the post system it's all geared up for a winner and a loser um, but actually life is much more complicated than that yeah, yeah. and you've got to let you know you've got to do things where people do have a stake people do have a say they are consulted it isn't just about one you know a race and one side gets them to dominate the other side for you know generations to come yeah um, that's not how a healthy country should operate no absolutely I couldn't I couldn't agree anymore when we do talk about progressive alliance when we do talk about voting reform uh, climate change anything generally we're I don't know we're viewed as sort of like mild hippies and idiots and well just get with the program for God's sake you know you're a you're a winner you're a loser you're either a Labour or a Tory you know there's no kind of but anyway I'm, I'm rambling but, but no I mean it's, it's true because people you know anyone that you know it's the old cliche I, that's not the message I hear on the doorsteps you know but when you actually yeah. do go and you knock on doors and you know I've I've worn out many pairs of shoes <laughs> to get green councillors elected yeah and when you talk to people um, you find increasing or less and less people saying you know I'm voting Labour why are you voting Labour well because my father or my mum voted Labour it's less and less and people are switching between elections they're distinguishing between who they vote for in local elections compared to regional elections compared to national elections yeah. Um, they're, you know, switching um, sides even in, in within uh, elections from, you know, kind of in five-year intervals. Yeah. Um, and people are less tribal. Um, and so, you know, that, that makes it very interesting. It means that you can get quite significant change very, very rapidly. Yeah. And just because things have shifted very, very rapidly, in my opinion, in the wrong direction, doesn't mean that they won't shift very, very rapidly back. Yeah. Uh, in the other direction. But the problem is, we've got people that are incredibly open-minded. Caroline Lucas, who I absolutely have adored for years. People like Paddy Ashdown, um, yourself, uh, whoever, you know, anybody with an open mind. But, but they're forced to compete in this insane theatre that if, you, if you're not all in the same... If you're not in the same party... Sorry. If you're not of the, you know, Tory or whatever, you're... There's no chance. Yeah. Although, you know, having said that, some of those names that you mentioned, I, you know, I happen to know for a fact that there's a lot of admiration between them for one another. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. And what was interesting about the, the referendum campaign was a lot of these people suddenly found themselves on the same side. Uh, yeah. And they, you know, it's, it's the old cliche when you're fighting battles, uh, party political battles, suddenly you, you build very deep relationships with those people you're fighting a common enemy uh, against. And, and, and what is, I think, makes the, the ground quite fertile for progressive alliances within the 
uh, referendum, a lot of people put aside their tribal loyalties to campaign for Remain. And I know my area, you know, I was with, with people from Momentum and from Labour uh, and Lib Dems and, you know, people putting aside the slightly difficult thing which some of us found we know that the Lib Dems being in coalition with the yeah, Conservatives yeah, no, but you know that that kind of um, was set aside because yeah. we saw there was a common cause and for many people this was a unique experience and you know, it never worked with people from another party yeah um, but you know what it's the it's the old tribalism that I find so disappointing and amongst people who you would hugely respect for their politics and their principal position they are still really really tainted by tribalism and there's a whole amongst certain sections i'm not going to name any names it's not helpful but it is helpful to identify i think you know there is a real arrogance and that, that's worrying it is you know, you know and well just we got more votes in 2015 than all the other general elections put together yeah um, that should have given us 24 25 seats in parliament you know that gives you an idea of that's quite sizable um, we know that you know, the Lib Dems have had huge support in the past and, you know, I dare say it will come back. We saw what's happened with the SNP in Scotland. My goodness, you know, who thought that was happening five years ago? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, that's, that's, not, that's under the first past the post system. And incidentally, you know, with all their MPs in Parliament, they got about the same number of votes as we did. Yeah. And what's been exactly. really lovely about the SNP, um, and I sort of, you know, I was at the SNP conference doing a debate about progressive alliances, and despite the fact that they would now stand to lose out the proportional system, they're still sticking with the principle of supporting yeah. proportional representation, yeah. and that to me speaks volumes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, because you know they've been trumping it for years and years yeah. and years, and there's no way they're going to back back off now. And why the hell should they? Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jonathan. He is a fantastic guy. He's really coming from a fantastic place. I really enjoyed that chat, as you as you probably you probably gathered straight from the off. We were in there talking about music. I'm a drummer myself. Was brought up on the blues. I was. Oh yeah, I was hoping that he would. Uh, we'd have a bit more of a blues chat. But you, you, you got to get down to this stuff. And then when, when someone says, you know, I'm not much actually. I'm not much of a blues fan. It, it, let's move on. But that that was good because otherwise I would have just talked about BB King and uh, John Lee Hooker or Jimi Hendrix until my eyes popped out of my skull, which has happened on a number of occasions. Um, but yeah, so um, I. I really, really enjoyed that, and and I know that going forward, that the Liberal Democrats, the Green Party, and, and those brave enough within the Labour Party, we're all going to be looking to one another for support. So I just, yeah, I, I hope you got the idea that that's the kind of person we're dealing with—a really, just straight down the line, lovely human being who knows, you know, his family, what they've been through in terms of disability, you know, his son. Um, his his fight against uh, the, the uh, all all the prejudices that, that are out there within within our society, you know, and, and fantastic, what a great guy, and he really really is one hundred percent about what everything he says. So um, I guess it I guess it's time to to say goodbye. I was I was going to dial up Elaine Elaine Bagshaw of of the Limehouse podcast, but. Um, it, it, we, we just took so long to get it going. I took so long to phone her that by the time that I got this going, we, it all became irrelevant. So we talked about the Copeland by-election and stuff. Then it happened and, you know, it all went a bit wrong 
for Labour and were quite interesting. Lib Dems did well, um, got you know doubled their vote or whatever it was, and 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 great had fantastic stuff. Um, there have been some fantastic by-election results as well for the Lib Dems in that time. It's just it's too too much to keep on top of. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm better in the flesh, so with, with these you know with with, with Limehouse uh, panel chats. So we'll probably I will probably bring you one in three weeks so until now you're just gonna have to put up with this voice um and well done you've done well putting up with it this far so yeah i will i'll say goodbye but in the meantime um can i i'm traveling so this is what i'm doing i'm reading i'm walking dogs and i'm getting sunburned and i'm and i'm reading a book or have read a book called decline and fall by evelyn war go and get it it's bloody brilliant it is so funny, but so there's something else going on there, and I can't put my finger on it. it it's a nine, it, in like 1928. It's a bit Jeeves and Worcester. It's very eccentric. It's it's a hell of a there's a bit of twist and uh, twist and turns in there as well. And yeah, I I, I think everybody should be reading more Evelyn War. He's a, it, it was an amazing author. Oh my God, you know a handful of dust. Don't get me started, okay? And uh, yeah, and if you if you've got a few quid extra, maybe Bridget Christie's book, um, a book for her. It's such a good. It's such a. Oh my! Is it funny? Is it funny? Oh my god! It's hilarious. You know what are you gonna do? Anyway, um, take care. Don't forget to stay in touch. Twitter at Limehouse Pod and uh, the Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com. And we're always on Facebook. And we always love hearing from you. So guys, take care. I will see you soon. Up the Saints. I know we lost 3-2, but up the Saints. <laughs>